If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Leanne Haywood. Leanne's a bit of an all-rounder. She's been a dressage rider, competitor, coach, as well as show jumping and eventing. She's also got experience doing thoroughbred yearling sale preparation. She's done cattle and sheep droving. She's done non-competitive camp drafting, novelties, harness, and also hunting. And one thing about Leanne, she rode a horse from Melbourne to Canberra in 1988, which was 1,000 kilometres 21 days on one horse, and she celebrated the bicentenary to the contribution of the horse to the settlement of Australia. And then she helped form a guard of honour for the Queen at Parliament House in Canberra. That's a bit of a long ride, Leanne. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm looking forward to this, finding out a little bit more about your <laughs> ride. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the ride, if, you, if you've got something to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it was... Um a ride that the Federation Insurance put together to um, to just to show what horses have con- how they've contributed to the settlement of Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, even though it was a thousand kilometres, the actual ride was only eight hundred because what we did is we went into Melbourne, into uh, Parliament House in Melbourne, and uh, formed a, a, a guard of honour in there for the politicians. And then we took a a, a document. From there to Parliament House in Canberra, we followed, we actually started the ride from Hillswill and we went through all the high country of Victoria and New South Wales, mm. following the same track that our first settlers did, camping every night, hoping it wouldn't rain or snow. And uh, when it was it, turned, it was uh, marketed as a pleasure ride, but it ended up being an endurance ride because we were doing 40 kilometres every day. And the most notable day was Mount Terrible, where we got up at 630 and we left and our horses didn't get to drink until 3 o'clock in the afternoon and that was pretty bad. But we were on our hands and knees crawling over rocks and boulders. You just could not ride it. It was so steep. Wow, wow. But uh, when we got to Canberra, the highlight was uh, forming a guard of honour for the Queen mm-hmm. as she came into Parliament House in Canberra and we met the Prime Minister and he was pretty proud of what we'd done. But only 17 of us completed that trip on the same horse, same rider every day and I specifically bought a horse, especially for the trip. I bought a, I went to the Jets Cross Horse Sales in Adelaide, and I bought a um, a, a station horse crossed with an Arab. And yep. He was just tough as he was a bit feathery, a bit clumpy, but would just go and go and go. And the first week, they all laughed at me for what I was riding. <laughs> you fifteen, yep. fifteen too. Yep. And I said, yeah, that's okay. They're all their purebred Arabs and their purebred quarter horses. And the second week, they're going, gee, he's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> By the third week, wow, he's a fantastic horse. He's gone every day for you. I said, yes, he has. But, you know, you really had to look after your, your horse if you were going to make that distance. Yep, yep. How many people started on the ride? 350 people started out. Yeah. And in the first three days, 50 dropped out and... Uh, uh, by the middle of the ride, there was only a hundred going out every day. It was just too tough. Yeah. I've seen grown men crying. One horse was killed. Oh. That was pretty sad. Mm. 
um, people were vetted out, horses were vetted out, or, or doctored out, yeah, <laughs> as you <yes>. should say. <laughs> but uh, that would have to be one of the proudest moments of, of what I've done because very few people have done that. That's just a 21 days without a break. That's the only criticism I've got of that ride. With yeah. You really need to give your horse a rep day. Yes, yes. They probably did it the way that the uh, early settlers did, and they, they were probably pretty hard on their horses as well, you know, and had to be to survive. That's right. Yeah. It is exactly. And, of course, we were – it was the 16th of April 30 years ago, mm, uh, wow. which is today. Yep. Like right now is where I, I would be over there near – Mansfield or Miss Mitter or somewhere like that or climbing over Mount Buffalo. It was just uh, one of the proudest things I've ever done because it was outside of the ordinary. Lots of people do all their competitive stuff Mm. or do endurance for a um, sport, but I pushed myself outside my comfort zone. And And it was a bit of a one-off thing too. It was a one-off. It's not on every year or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, it took two years to plan. Mm. Because uh, they had to get special approval from the government to be able to ride through the national parks. Yep. And of course, yep. we were limited by the feeds we were allowed to take, no grains mm. uh, at all. Yes. So it was yes. a one off. And I don't think they've ever tried to do it again because <laughs> it was so difficult. <laughs> Maybe in 100 years, I'll be thinking about it. Yeah. yeah and, and by then, they'll have some sort of technology to make life easier. <laughs> I mean, the farriers farri- were working until 10 o'clock at night and we were only showering every second day. and and uh, the food was good, but gee, the, the terrain was tough, yeah. really tough. Yeah. Our forefathers and foremothers, if you can use that word, gee, they must have been good at what they did. Mm. But every what I found, what I learned from that was um, that synthetic was not much good. Everything had to be wool or cotton in the way of clothing. Okay, yes. And for your horse, wear uh, use the synthetic saddles and uh, nice broad breastplates if you have to use them, nice thick saddle blankets. But back in the 80s, uh, there wasn't a lot of selection around like there is today. That's probably the biggest change I've seen in the horse industry, actually. Okay. okay. We sort of got carried away, Leanne. I normally start people off with a favourite quote. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you asked me, will I ask My the favorite. questions in order? And I said, oh, probably not. But anyway. <laughs> probably not. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. My favourite quote is, the slower you go, the quicker you get there, which means the foundation training of a horse is the most important thing. If mm-hmm. you take shortcuts, eventually they'll show signs of tension or lack of confidence when moving up the roads, which can take longer to fix. And then the whole progress of that horse takes so much longer because you have to go back to the base, undo the damage you've done and start again. Yeah, yeah. Now, how old were you when you learned that about the foundation training of the horse? You know, learn that lesson and learned the slower you go, the quicker you'll get there. Uh, I think I was 25 before that. I finally found that little piece of gold. Mm-hmm. And you make sure you tell your students? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. So that anyone that comes to me for a quick fix usually doesn't stick around. Those that are really committed to the welfare of their horse and a long-term uh, career, they, they stay because yeah. they understand it. Yep, yep, yep. Now, Leanne, tell us about, I want you to think of a really early memory that you had about horses. You know, maybe one, I don't know how old you would have been, but when you first started to ride or your first experience with horses or just something funny or a bit terrifying that happened. Well, there's lots of them. (laughs) (laughs) I came from a a non-horsey family. We sort of grow out of the craze. 
Yep. And I remember nagging my parents to give me one, just one riding lesson every school holidays. But lucky for me, there was a man called Kipnowski who lived just over the hill from me in the Adelaide Hills. Mm-hmm. He bred thoroughbreds and he was a sheep and cow grazier and also had a birdie abattoir. I was only 10 years old and I convinced him to let me ride his stock horse one day. And I asked him if I could come back the next meet. And when I did, he said if I wanted to ride, I had to do it bareback because if I fell, there no danger of me being dragged. So I spent the next three years at the saddle, driving cattle and sheep, and also crafting out the fucking yard. And all bareback. And uh, in hindsight, all bareback. Yep. And in hindsight, that was the best thing he could have done because it's given me a good seat. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way we weren't moving cattle, and that, uh, I was helping him wean yearlings and prepare them for the yearling sale. Yep. And uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in the horse today because he gave his little stock horse to go to Vineyard once, and then he helped get my pony. And so then I took my pony pony club, nagged my pants, <laughs> and I discovered novelties, but more importantly, show jumping. And uh, because they didn't me a real lot. I sort of kept working with cattle and sheep for a while and then went into harness for a bit. And then when I was 21, my boyfriend introduced me to hunting, so I went hunting and then I went back to show jumping. And then when I was 25, that's when I decided it's time to learn uh, dressage. So I thought there's got to be a, a better way of going around a show jumping course than the way we used to back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I chose a mentor and I worked with him every week for the next seven years. And that's when I learned about leg aids, feet, and the whole long journey of bringing a horse on that's unbroken and teaching them the correct way to travel and to be educated. Yep. And that's when I learned the difference it makes when you're trying to compete. Yeah. Yes, it certainly does. And and that sort of takes you back then to your favourite saying, doesn't it, about the foundations? Absolutely. Without a foundation's life, you find yourself coming into a fence. And if you haven't done your grid work and all your power work yep. and something unusual happens or they all see something at the last second or you make a mistake, they go, don't worry, I've got this good. They draw their memories and their experience to help you through that situation. You brought them up too quick. And there's a, a bit of a tricky tricky question from a fence, that's when you'll come kind of back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably why we have some of the falls that we have. People are trying to move up the grades too quick because of the attention that you get. Unfortunately, that's the downside of the sport of renting just at the moment. I, I would like to see that change. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Leanne, tell me about if you had someone working for you, if you or if you had someone that was going to go off and work in the horse industry. What sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need? I'd say patience, mm-hmm. be slow, slow to anger, be compassionate, and above all, have the ability to look at things from your horse's point of view. Yep. yep. If you can put those things with you, you won't come unstuck, you won't go far wrong. Yeah, yeah. If, if you don't see things from the horse's point of view, you're not a horse. Horse yep. person. Yep. Yep. What do you think is the best thing about working with horses and coaching and being in the horse industry? I think the best thing is helping to improve the quality of life of the horses. Yep. By giving people knowledge and skills. Yeah. That should be the best way to sum that up. You, you give people knowledge and skills and they then they give their horse their best possible life, 
possible training and the best possible outcome. And then they've got a true partner. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at it from big picture type thing, aren't you? You know, that what you're teaching is giving the horse the best life. It, it is because how many people do you see mistreating an animal or doing something that's really unusual only through lack of knowledge, yes. not because they deliberately want to hurt that horse. Mm-hmm. And I'm very passionate about that, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, no, get to know as much as you can and look after your horse because if you give to them, they'll give you back tenfold. Yeah, and I think as a coach, you know, as someone who's got their own horse, you can influence your own horse, you know, and give your own horse a good life. But if you're a coach, you can then influence people who then influence other horses, you know, and that then. That's, um, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. That, that's what I'm passionate about, actually, is, mm. is just making sure that people have knowledge so that their horses have the best possible chance. Yes, yes. Tell us about someone who's influenced you. Uh, would It would be Bruce Nosky, of course, mm-hmm. that first, because he was, back then, knowledge was handed down from horseman to horseman. There were no books, there was no YouTube, no internet. Yep. He taught me to, to watch a horse and uh, predict what they're going to do by watching their eyes, their ears, their nostrils, their breathing and their stance. Mm. And the other person would be Ivan Wright, who established the Kurzweil Equestrian Centre. had weekly lessons for seven years. I learned every aspect of English equitation, which would help me become a successful show jumping competitor. He was desperate for me to event my horse because he said my uh, thoroughbred gelding at the time was tailor-made for eventing, so he, he trained me up in all three phases, hoping I would change. But I, I just had this thing for show jumping, and I just, yeah, venting that 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 can wait. I just wanted to go show jumping and jump big things. Yep. yep. And so, yep. those two people, especially Ivan, I suppose, he just turned me right around from because I knew nothing. I didn't know what a leg aid was. I was obviously using them when I was camp drafting, mm. but to learn passage and PF and half pass, and and the thrill of feeling those movements. It's just something, as a person who's learnt them at an older age, it's just thrilling to actually learn those movements. Mm, mm. And uh, that's what really changed me. What about, did you have one horse with Ivan or you're riding his? Or has there been a horse that you think has really influenced you? You've told us about the horse that you, you know, you took from Melbourne to Canberra, but any other horse that you'd like to talk about? The only other horse I'd like to talk about probably is my event at Irish Destiny. Mm-hmm. And when I bought her, <laughs> that's another long story how she came into my life. She, basically, she found me. Yep. And uh, when she came into my life, I just had my young, my children were young, and I thought my horse life was over. You know what it's like to yes. have your kids and yep. you tell everything off thinking, that's it now, I have to go to football or netball and cricket and tennis and stuff. And the horses, um, they became very horsey. But she was the one that said, no, not just to be a trail riding person, you, you're to go either eventing or hunting, that's what she was uh, bred to do. And so I thought, well, I've got all the training there. I've never actually done eventing. Perhaps I'll give that a go. That's the one thing I haven't tried. <laughs> and so she she, <laughs> she was the horse that said, come on, let's go eventing. So mm-hmm. we did. Yep. And I only started eventing when I was 50. And so wow. I thought, well, okay, off we go. And uh, she was brilliant. She was the one that taught me everything about eventing. Yep. Yep. She was that one in a million horse. One in a million she was. Mm. But there you go. 
you said about, you know, your proudest moment was being in the Guard of Honour, was it, for the Queen at Parliament House? Is it in Canberra? Yeah. yeah yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that that's pretty special. Mm. Well, yeah, she drove past me. And you've got to remember back then we had no mobile phones, no digital cameras, and I had a little yeah, camera yeah, hanging yeah. around my neck for the whole ride, and I took over 100 photos. And as she drove past, I remember following her with my camera and clicking, mm. and with one eye, I'm looking at the other and she just waved and kept going, and I thought, wow, I've ridden all this way and suffered all this <laughs> just to get away from her. <laughs> but she, you know, she she is a busy lady, and uh, she herself still rides at 92, so I reckon that's I pretty know, special. I know, She's pretty special, isn't she? Yeah. That's amazing. She's pretty dottery on her feet, but still good on a horse. So uh, just thinking about challenges, you know, you said you had a pretty big challenge in the ride that you did. Do you think that's been your biggest challenge to sort of get where you are, you know, to even get to eventing at 50? What was your biggest challenge before you started eventing and eventing as an older rider? Just life, life mm-hmm. itself. Because I had no family backing, no interest whatsoever, apart from Bruce Nosky. He took me under his wing, like adopted me. Yep. And I, I had to be extremely focused on, on my goals. I had to. I was working two jobs six days a week when I was 18 and so that I could eventually have my, my dream of my own beautiful property here in the Adelaide Hills. I've got my own horse track, a, a new float with a nice vehicle. To, I've got a 60 by 30 all-weather arena, undulating land and good horses in the stable. And I have never been handed anything, given anything. My parents didn't take me for lessons. I didn't get any of the support that, support that the young kids get today. I just had to claw and scratch and struggle every inch of the way. Mm-hmm. But the best part of that is no one could ever call me spoilt or um, I've only ever been on talented horses and I've worked really hard for everything I've got and I appreciate every little thing that I actually have. Yes. I treasure yes. it. And you've probably got a higher level of appreciation because of that. Absolutely. I take nothing for granted. I'm grateful for anybody and everything and everyone around me. Yep. Every day. Yep. And every horse. Every horse. Very grateful. So, so lucky to have what I've got. And is that what you'd say to anyone else who says, look, you know, make all the excuses. I haven't got any money. I haven't got any time. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. Are you going to say to them, if you really want (laughs) to get it, you can get it? Yeah. I had a dear old uncle with a terrific saying. He'd say, Leanne, the harder you work, the luckier you'll get. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? And yeah. so all I say to you, if you want something bad enough, the only thing that'll stop you is laziness, nothing mm-hmm. else. If you work hard enough, you can achieve anything you want. Yep. Absolutely yep. anything. Yep. No does not exist in my vocabulary. If you want to do something, you go and you do it. And you just go and you do it. I'm very optimistic. I'm a true half-glass full person. Don't give in. Don't give up. Have a go. Failure is only if you don't try. Yes. If you have a go at something and don't achieve it, at least you've had a go. You don't want to get to old age and go, well, I wonder what could have happened or what I could have achieved if only, Mm. if only I tried, if only I'd done this. I say to all your listeners, have a go. Give it a try. You don't know what you're capable of unless you try. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. Leanne, thinking about you as a coach now, 
and, you know, you're going off to teach new students or do a clinic or something, what do you think is a common fault that you see? You know, something that, because this is, you know, for, for our listeners too, they want to learn something, they want mm. to be educated. What's something that you would say, this is a, a common fault with people and this is how you fix it? So then they might think, well, is that my fault? And we look at show jumping, you know, someone starting off show jumping or looking at show jumping and maybe if they haven't got enough dressage or maybe, you know, you've got some tips along those lines. You know, what's a problem they'd have and what's the lesson that you'd like to give them? Well, every rider turns up here with a different problem when it comes to jumping. Mm-hmm. The older women who are mothers, uh, nervous riders, come into fence of too slow. Some people come in too quick and they just flog their horses around and the poor horse is nearly hyperventilating with fear of what it's going to be fronted with and not have time to assess the jump coming towards them and hence the mistakes and crashing through fences. If I had to give a generic lesson to a whole heap of people, it would be to focus on your rhythm coming into your fence Mm -hmm. and just keep the same rhythm. Jumping is really dressage with poles in the road. It's all about your rhythm, the type of canter you've got or whether whether it's a speed event or jump off or whatever is irrelevant. But if you can keep a good rhythm, because every time you interfere with the rhythm of your horse, you change their focus and their thinking. And they use energy when you do a half halt or a downward transition. So if you're forever speeding up, slowing down, they're listening to those instructions rather than just being allowed to travel and focus on the fence. Mm. That would be a generic lesson I'd give to people today if they wanted to take something from what I'm saying. Okay, okay. And that's working on the counter, working on keeping the rhythm. Yes, don't speed up and slow down. Mm -hmm. Just keep that rhythm, keep the canter constant. Yep. You can always shorten and lengthen the stride, just keep the canter constant so that they can get into a rhythm and relax and then their jumping improves dramatically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If uh, if you want a a generic jumping advice, If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What do you do? Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing if they are too slow or too quick. Maybe we want three lessons. Maybe we want a generic one, one that's for the (laughs) older people coming in too slow and one that's too quick where the horse is a bit fearful. Tell us about what exercises you do or what you'd like to teach them. And the one the one good fix for all of those problems is grid work with bounces in. Mm-hmm. Um, the bounces can be very low, very high, depending on the, the level of the rider, but it teaches the horse um, to keep the rhythm, especially if you've got four or five bounces in a row. And it's da-dump, da-dump, da-dump. There's no speeding up, slowing down. And you have them coming into a fence. And the riders learn to relax because often when they're rushing, they're anxious and scared and they make the horse rush. So if the grid's there with all the striding set out for them, I say to them, just sit there, relax, and let the horse take you Mm -hmm. to the fence. You don't have to do anything. And all of a sudden you see them relax, the horse relax, and the rhythm comes. And if they're going too slow... Again, that grid will make them go that bit more forward so that they get used to the the more forward movement of the horse and start to relax in that as well. Because some people, when they get anxious, they jam up in their elbows and their shoulders and bring their elbows into their ribcage and get all tight. 
and just generally keep asking the horse to go slower and slower. So the legs are saying go and the hands are saying stop. Yes. Yes, and so that's that's a, a big problem for the nervous riders. Mm. Conflicting uh, aids. The yeah. so grid work is okay. probably the one thing I go to a lot to fix these things. Okay, no, that's good. That's good. That's sort of getting everyone to remind them about grid work and about just going back and doing those exercises. Yeah, and there's your basic foundation work that I was talking about before. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right. Yeah, yeah. The grid work teaches good habits. It's foundation work. Did you learn that from Ivan, the grid work? I did. Yeah. The grid work I did with him was incredible, just incredible. No no reins, arms out at the side, and we were doing metre 20, metre 30, like mm-hmm. that. No stirrups. He really made me learn to ride well, I think. At the time, I don't know if I've still got that skill <laughs> <in> my <mind> now. <laughs> now. When you were doing the grid work, you know, did he start off sort of with your, your typical sort of bounce one stride and then go from there or did you do some tricky ones like, you know, bounce one stride, bounce, or, you know, what sort of grid work did he do? Because you say grid work, but, gee, there's a big variety of grid work you can do. Big variety. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. You, you start off with one pole and a trot stride to a crossbar. Yep. And then eventually you add two trot poles and a crossbar that's a bounce to another crossbar and you build. Your, with horses, little steps become big steps and that's the yep. same with riders. So you always start off small mm. and then you just gradually expand them out of their comfort zone. And in the end, you can have five or six bounces in a row, mm. um, a short stride to an upright, a bit longer stride to an oxer, and then another two strides to another oxer so that that's where you end up so yep. that you're jumping those big fences, but the horse isn't rushing in or mm. coming in too slow. Yep. And you do it if you do something often enough. It's amazing how good you can be. Yes. Yes. Yep. Leanne, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? Mm. Well, the type of listeners you would have will vary from all sorts of disciplines. Tell us one that that you think has influenced you. Um. I think Tom Roberts' books, as okay. old as they are, yep. are really hard to beat. Tom mm-hmm. Roberts, the rider, Tom Roberts, the young horse, and, of course, you know, horse control and the bit. Yes. It is classical, sound advice, and wisdom never goes out of fashion. Yeah. So that's why I recommend those if you want to do some reading. If you're, if you're already an educated rider and you want to improve, 101 Schooling Exercises is a very good book too. Yeah, yeah. So they are the two types that the Tom Roberts books can appeal to absolutely anybody from your camp drafter to your polo cross player, mm-hmm. your hunter, your endurance rider. Um, whereas the schooling exercises is more for your traditional English equitation type rider. It's a good one for coaches too, to make sure that they're giving their students lots of variety within their work. Exactly, because mm. so many coaches resort back to the same old patterns and yeah. it just gets a bit boring for the horse and the rider. Yep. And I think I'm fortunate that I've come from such a varied background that any type of rider can turn up here and I can identify with them Yep. and yep. know what they're feeling and going through. And I know what it's like to be uneducated. I know what it's like to be a mother with young children. I know what it's like to be scared. I've had a couple crashes. I know what that feels like. So that's where being a bit older is a distinct advantage because mm. you've been around, you've felt a lot of things and people turn up and I cannot empathise with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm. I use that. I, I re- go back now, how did I feel? And I go, oh, <laughs> how did I fix it? Oh, I remember now, yeah, the way we go. Yeah, yeah. 
Leanne, what are you looking forward to now? You've got another big ride on or you're just enjoying your horses? You've got anything coming up? Mm, nothing big today that mm-hmm. I know of. Who yep. knows what will happen tomorrow? I, I take one day at a time okay. and I make the most of every opportunity. I think teaching and coaching gives me the most enjoyment at the moment, you know, seeing the light bulb moment when the horse or rider develops new skills or good, increases their ability. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much someone my age can achieve. You see, I've never been this old before, so it's all new to me, so I just <laughs> go out and I have a go. I have a go at anything I can, and if I find I'm too old or too stiff or whatever, well, I go, well, at least I tried. Yeah, yeah Just go yeah. there and experience yeah. everything you can. Yeah. So who knows yeah. what the future holds. Mm. Mm. Someone might ring me tomorrow and who knows what I'll do. Exactly, exactly. So before you tell us your contact details, because people will, just tell us in a few sentences, summarise your philosophy with horses. Try to see everything from the horse's perspective. Ask yourself what is the horse thinking or how might they be feeling or what how a situation looks to them. Because it's only what they are thinking or feeling that you can find an answer to any problem that you or they might be having. So you never underestimate what fear or pain, how that will influence the horse. So just look at it from their point of view. That's the one thing I'd like everyone to take away. Just go, what's my horse thinking? What's my horse feeling? Yep. And Or how do they see it? Yeah, yeah. And I think that the fear and the pain, you know, if you can sort of have a bit of an insight that the horse is trying to tell you that there is fear or there is pain, it just means that you become less of a bully and a bit more empathetic, doesn't it? It does. If a horse is playing up, they're either overfed and underworked, Yep. they're scared or something's hurting. Mm. Mm. That's usually the three mm. reasons. If yep. you can work out which one it is and, and fix the problem, don't put a Band-Aid over it. Yeah, fix yeah, it. yeah. Leanne, how can people contact you now for those wonderful things that people are going to ring you up and offer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> My mobile number, of course, is 0419-865-805 or my email is haywoodtransport at bigpond.com. That's wonderful. All right, well, we're um, looking forward to having you back on the show, Leanne. You can talk to us a little bit more about some of those exercises. But meanwhile, thanks very much for your time today and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much for having me today. That's okay. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 